Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast, as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with Hall of Fame offensive lineman, Walter Jones. All right, let's do this! And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast, I'm Brett Boone. Today on the program, I'm joined by a nine-time Pro Bowler. He was named to the NFL 100th Anniversary All-Time Team and was selected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2014. Ladies and gentlemen, Walter Jones. Walter, thanks for coming on the program. Uh, Thanks for having me, man. Here's what I got for you. I'm a gym rat. I always have been. I always worked out, especially when I was playing. I still try to do it. I'm trying not to get fat and old. Uh, but I had a, I had a guy recently on the podcast, Dallas Diamond Dallas Page, he's a pro wrestler. You know, I don't know if you're into wrestling, but I was talking to him about it. he's got a program, a yoga program, where you get mm-hmm. download this app, and I'm looking for something for my back so I can play golf more than two days in a row. So we were talking about that. Then I'm getting ready for the Walter Jones podcast, and I see you used to push Escalades around. Tell me about that. <laughs> so that was so long ago, man. I definitely want to uh, tell you to do that now. You know, we both have, have played a, a lot a lot of sports, so I definitely want encourage that to do that now. But that was just something I want to do. You know, coming from a rural area, uh, we didn't, you know, you know, when I started playing football, uh, we didn't have the, the nicest uh, weight equipment. So the coaches were just trying to find ways to, to work us out when I was in high school. So and back then, for the offensive linemen, so all you say, the big boys at that time when you're in high school, you play every position so you know if you was bigger you was over what 150 pounds you was an offensive lineman so you know that's what we had to do for for you know if we didn't have the the you know we didn't have sleds we didn't have no kind of weight equipment so that's the kind of stuff that we would do to 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 work our lower body so when i was when i went to seahawks and i went through uh my contract stuff and i was holding out for training camp you know and i used to like you said with the back i used to have issue with my back too so you know and, and anytime i you know at that time you know i had all the weight equipment in my house i had the, the squat machine all that stuff but every time i would do squats i would tweak my tweak my back my back would just be out of whack the next day or so so i said to myself i'm doing any kind of you know the clean and jerk any kind of stuff like that i just wasn't good at that stuff so i, th- I tried to find ways that i could take that pressure on my back so that's what i started doing and, and i used to go to this park uh, like where I, I used to be down in alabama and I used to go to this park, and, you know, I was there by myself. When nobody there. It was hot in the summer. And then somebody just saw, saw me one day, took a picture, posted it, and all of a sudden the news got behind it and Sports Illustrated got behind it. So it was just something. It was just a lure that everybody wanted to know, but people don't understand that I was doing that back in high school because we didn't have the weight equipment. So it was just something that could prepare me and get me ready for football season where, you know, you got to, you got to run your legs, you got to keep churning and, and blocking guys. So it was a way to help me prepare myself when I got ready to play. That's funny too. How about how about that when when it goes kind of viral and and they take a picture of you? Now it's a big deal. Uh, Walter Jones, one of the best that ever do it on on the offensive line. Now are guys around the league coming up to you? Go, Walter. What, what, all right, tell me about this. Uh, maybe I'll try it. 
You're, you're like oh, fellow you offensive know, if, linemen. If you, if, 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 you, if you go anywhere, any, any, in a lot of training facilities now, everybody got something kind of similar to that in their training facility where guys are getting behind sleds or, you know, I know the Seahawks had somewhere they set up where they had it made out of mesh, made out of wood and all that stuff, and they had weights on it. So there were so many things that people have mischief from that. Not saying they got it for me, but, you know, back then, you know, I didn't know at that time that you need to copyright everything you do. So I might, I should have probably copyrighted back then. Like now, if that was to happen now, it'll go sensational viral. Back then, it was just by newspaper and people will post it. So it took a second for people to know what was going on because if a local paper posted, it, it's not going to get to worldwide for a couple of days or a couple of months. So for me personally, it worked out perfect because I didn't have to worry about now. You get multiple people coming there trying to see your workout. So, but from a standpoint, I think a lot of teams got it, got it now where they got some kind of similar thing like that because a lot of guys, like you say, with their back situation, when you get older, you're playing this game. You try to find ways to eliminate the stress. And I thought for me personally, that eliminated my stress. It, it helped me for the position I play where I got to have a flat back. So I think from that standpoint, you know, I have had young guys to ask me. And a lot of guys didn't know. I had a guy come up to me one time and ask me, like, well, how did you do it? You know, I put the car in, in, on on a flat surface. I put it in neutral, and I still have a hard time. And I was like, you have to find an area that got just a, a slight slant to it. So, now, you know, it's kind of like when, when somebody give you so – if you saw somebody that's car is stopped on the side of the road, you know, you want to be in a situation where you can push it and get it going. The, the, the process is to keep it rolling. So you got to find – you know, trying to do it from a flat level is pretty hard. You got to find somewhere where you got a, a incline, somewhere where you can get it rolling. Once you get it rolling, you know it, it's a pretty good workout. Very cool. You started something. You started because I'm using that sled. I like the sled. I'll go out there. It works my legs. It gets my heart pumping. I've never pushed an Escalade or, or a car, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I me, do it, You know what? I pushed the Escalade the whole time, and it took me to I retired where I got my first Escalade as a car. So I was trying <laughs> was my getting... best to get a, a deal with it, but it didn't happen until after I got done playing ball. So, yeah, you were thinking ahead, like, man, if I push the right car, this is the one I want. Maybe somebody will take notice and shoot me a car. Exactly, exactly. Very, very cool, very cool. All right, childhood. Uh, born in Alabama, obviously mm-hmm. a football player. Tell me about Walter Jones growing up. What, what were you like as a kid? Oh, Would man, you, I, like- you know what? I came from a family of eight of us, a single parent. Uh, I was a baby out of all. I had four. I had four sisters. I had four brothers. I had one brother that was pretty good in football. I had one brother that was probably the, the athlete of the family. And me being the young one, I had one of my brother, my brother that was, he played baseball and football and, uh, he broke his leg. And, it, and where we lived at, there was, uh, you know, the bus had to, you know, we had to walk probably like a quarter mile to the bus stop. But then when my brother broke his leg, the bus had to start picking him up. And my mom had a hard time trying to get him back and forth to the, to the doctor so she was like no more sports i can't afford it one of y'all get hurt i just can't afford it. i can't i can't get out work and stuff so at that point there wasn't a father figure there my brother wasn't pushing me to play sports so i didn't start playing sports till i was probably well a freshman in high school so i didn't get introduced to football until i was a freshman in high school and, and that was just because we had a new coach that came in and kind of convinced my mom to play and you know and once i once i got introduced to it i figured this was the way out you know we didn't have much and my coach took me to a um to a college game and I said to myself, you know, he was telling me, my coach told me one day, he told me, he said, you're a million dollars walking around broke. So I didn't know what the heck that meant at that time. But, you know, now I understand what he meant by that. You know, you have the potential. It's a matter of can you do it? So I would say that's how it all got started with me football. But from a, a family standpoint as well, you know, I had a great family, brothers and sisters, like I said, 
I was the baby to this day, you know, even though, you know, I'm what I'm, I'm pushing 50 and, you know, my kids, you know, my, like when I get around my brothers and sisters, all of them older than me, and then people will come up and say, oh, that's your brother from the NFL. And they'll be like, oh, he's still the baby. And I'm like, hold up. I just paid your light bill last week. So, you know, it's just <laughs> one of those things that you have a good time with your family and stuff. So, you know, it, 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 was, a, it was a fun uh, upbringing for me, you know, being around my sisters and brothers, you know, with me being the baby. When you mentioned your mom and, and eight kids and do, doing it, you know, like you said, in a single single parent household, I feel her because I got four kids and uh, I know what it's like. I don't know how many kids you have, Walter, but getting these kids to their <laughs> I have different. Two, I have two, I have two, 22 years old. And I tell people all the time, two is enough for me. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, like a lot of time when you're coming from a big family, people assume that you want a lot. I do not want that. I, I have twin girl and boy and they was a handful and, and, you know, now they're at that age where you're trying to lead them in the right direction. They're trying to find their way, too. So it's kind of like one of those things where, you know, you enjoying the process now, what they're doing with their life now, what they're trying to accomplish. So for me personally, I'm enjoying this age now where I can leave and be like, hey, guys, I'll be back in a week or I'll be back in a two weeks. I'm like, if I had young kids right now, I wouldn't know what to do. That would drive me crazy. Well, all right. You got, so your twins are 22? Yeah, twins. I got got twins that are 17. All right, from 17 to 22, you got any advice for me? Hey, just, hey! I tell you what. Do you see? I had a girl, little boy. Uh, the the girl was just the girl. They have you wrapped around their finger. The boys, knuckleheads. But once they get by seven, by seventeen, <laughs> they start to figure it out. So you got you. You're fine now. Like now, my son, like twenty two years old right now. So he's at that age where he thinks he knows everything. So it's just something about boys, man. They feel like they know something that they don't know anything. So you just got to kind of let them kind of find their way. So that's the only advice I would say to you, man. Just let them know when you're playing and when you're not playing. I think that's the hardest thing I have with my kids. Like some days you might come home and it's a jovial night where you watch a movie. You might have a couple of drinks with them and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, the next day you're like, I'm parent now. So they just have to understand that I'm a friend when I decide I want to be a friend tonight. So they don't know how to separate that part. So that's the advice I would give you. Just let them know, hey, I'm still your dad when I want to have fun or do I want to be jovial with you tonight. That's funny. You called him a knucklehead. I got two knuckleheads and I call him that all the time. Well, I said, you guys are just freaking knuckleheads. You're going to drive me crazy. And I do the friend thing all the time, you know, especially when I got to be the disciplinary. I say, listen, you know, I I ain't your friend, but I ain't your friend, buddy. When I tell this, they hate when I tell this story, I tell my, I tell people all the time. I said, I said, it's okay to dumb it down because like when my kids was going through the process of getting a, getting an account, a bank account and all this stuff, trying to teach them all this stuff, you know, one day from school, I said, Hey, come. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to pick you guys up. We're going to go to the bank and we're going to set y'all up a bank account. So I picked my kids up and I went to the bank. And then when I got to the bank, my son said, do I need an ID? So I tell people all the time, tell your kids everything they need to know because they don't know. They think they know you think they should know. So always tell them every little detail that they need to know because you think they would know and some half the time they don't know. Right. They they can teach you probably some TikTok things and some some Snapchat. Oh, totally. They can tell you how to do all that stuff. They love that. Right. Right. But you're right. I mean, these kids, they walk around and they look at you like you got three heads like, Dad, you don't know. I said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was never 17 before. I never snuck out after hours chasing girl. I never did any of that. You're right. You know it all. I know nothing. I, and I tell them this all the time. I tell them, so you know, I made you right. So anything that you're doing, you're a product of me. So you think you're getting away with it. I know what you're doing. So don't think I don't know what you're doing. I think that game you were talking about, high school, football coach took you, Mississippi State, was it, you went to? 
Uh, I went to junior college in Mississippi. I was I, no, I, no, I, no, I no. That game. Remember in high school. No, remember that game in high school. You said your coach took you, and you said, "This is what I want to do." Was it a Mississippi? Oh yeah, State he took game? me to a Mississippi State. Yeah, he took me to a yeah. Mississippi State game, and that was my first time that I just got in. Like I just, you know, that there was an opportunity for me to to go further with playing football. So, you know, and and that was that that, that changed my life forever. You know what I'm saying? Because that was an opportunity for me to change my life and change my family life too. Though, so that was a a great opportunity to me because I literally. Like people say, don't throw your eggs in all, one basket. I totally threw my eggs in one basket. I, I knew that it was going to be my way out, and I was going to do everything I could to make it playing football. While I got a quick second, want to give a shout-out to DraftKings. We've partnered with DraftKings now, and they are the official sponsor of the Boone Podcast. Dan? Thanks, Boone. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code BOONE, B-O-O-N-E, bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code BOON at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN red line 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y 467-369. And now back to my interview with Walter Jones. Said you didn't start till your freshman year in high school. Were you always a big kid? I was a pretty big. I came out of high school at two. I was a six five at two fifty. I was two fifty. I, I, I played tight end when I was in high school. My first couple of years, but we ran the uh, the we ran the read option. So basically, playing tight end was just an extra tight end, uh, extra offensive alignment. So we ran the raid block. So I would do, I did more blocking than I did catching passes. But I was I didn't start playing really literally uh, offensive left tackle until I got to junior college. And, and people don't know this that you know my you know because I was being a younger kid. You know, my mom was pushing everybody, trying to get everybody to school. And I was the young, you know, usually you know how that works. The young one always seemed like he's the one that don't, he get the leftovers or he don't get this. So you kind of like put on the burner, you know, wait till your turn. So when I used to go to my mom and ask her, hey, can you help me do this? And she was like, oh, I'm so tired. I've had to do this. And so I just like figured it out. So I took that upon myself to be rebellious. So I kind of went to school, didn't do nothing. So I kind of failed like two grades. So when I got to, when I started playing ball, and then once I got a junior in high school, junior year would be my last year. So what I had to do, I had to take my junior classes. Then I had to take uh, 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 correspondent classes at night so I could graduate on time because my senior year of high school, I want to be in there play sports. And my coach was like, ain't nobody going to be interested in you if you if you miss a whole year of football. So I did everything. Like I tell people all the time, you do everything you got to do to get to that next level. So I was literally, you know, I was I was probably my junior year, I, I didn't see nobody because I was I was going to school, playing sport, and then on the weekends I was studying, doing 
11 grade courses, I mean, 12 grade courses, so so I could graduate on time. So, I t- like they say, I put everything I had into getting to where I'm at now. You mentioned you, you end up going to, I believe, Holmes Community College. Um, and I'm interested for your high school, your high school, uh, during your high school days, what was the recruiting like? A lot of guys coming around or it just take no, me no, that. no, really, man. You got to realize I came from, I was aware we were a class 3A school. And, you know, at that time, it wasn't a lot of kids. You know, there was no examples of, hey, you can you can go somewhere once you leave here. You know, we had a lot of kids that was were star athletes when they was in high school, but they didn't really do nothing. So you really, you really didn't see anybody leave and say, okay, you can play sports after you leave high school. You know, you had guys that was five-star athletes or was dominant, but they didn't do nothing after high school. So for me personally, it was just me trying to get out there and and try. You know, I was probably the the the, the one the one and only that 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 was like the the big man on campus where, you know, I made I, I did everything I needed to do and and and, and try to to try to help everybody out or try to show example for younger kids to let them know that you know if you put put forth the effort you can't make it. So that's what I wanted to do to just show that you know no matter how how tough it would have been you know in the beginning, but you you power through it and, and you and you made a change. So you went to Holmes Community College. You know, I I looked that up. There was a little fun fact. Roy Oswalt, who I played against for years, pitcher for mm-hmm. the Astros, uh, he went to Holmes Community College. You go there wow. for two years. You, you end up you end up you land at Florida State. And uh how'd that come to be? What were your options? Why Florida State? Florida State, because Florida State was, you know, when I went when I was in high school, when I started, you know, during the summer times, I would go, you know, my junior year, I would go to multiple, you know, summer camps. You know, back then, college, I don't even know if they even still do it now, but back then, you know, most of the the, the top, you know, the the D one schools would do summer camps where you go in, you you do drills, you watch film and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, my coach, you know, at that time, we was thinking about where I wanted to go to school at. I had Florida State, I had Alabama, I had Nebraska. At that time, Nebraska was the school for me because Nebraska was like, you know, they was O-line you. You know, they always was pushing out offensive linemen. They was running the ball. So, But then my coach was like, you need to go somewhere where you can run the ball and pass protect too. So, you know, so I kind of picked Florida State. And, you know, when I went down there for summer camp, I was hooked, and I said, "This is where I want to be." I was hooked. You know, they had the highlight reel. They had it. They, you know, they, you know, they do a good job of recruiting you. So that's where I wanted to go. And at that time, I didn't have the grades, but they, I had made film, and I took it down there and everything. And they told me, they said, hey, "If you get your grades right, we're gonna give you an opportunity." But you know, at that time, you know, with grades, how that works. So I had to go to junior college route, and Florida State kind of stuck with me throughout the whole process, and they kind of literally at me. At, I came to the last point where. They were trying to find me a JUCO. You know, at that time, you know, a lot of the D1 schools had, you know, college, junior college that they deal with. So they send guys. So at that time, I had two schools to go to. I had Holmes and there was another school called Jones Community College. And basically what we was doing was going there. They was going to meet because a lot of the teams already had their team set, had their scholarship set. So most of them really weren't no scholarships available. But there's always a scholarship available. You know, they just say that. But when I went to Holmes Community College, literally walked in the door. I talked to the coach. And the coach offered me a scholarship. He looked me up and down. You know how coaches do. They shake your hand. They feel your shoulders, I guess. You know, I don't know why they do that, but they do that. <laughs> and the coach offered me a scholarship. And I asked him, I said, how, I said, you didn't watch no film. He said, hey, you come to Florida State since you down here and you passed the eyeball test. So it's, I guess he basically said, if you can't play football, you look like you can play football. So I didn't even get a chance to go visit the other school. They offered me a scholarship. 
And I went there and I went there for two years. And, and I tell people, I said, that helped my career out because I was still trying to figure out how to play football. So I tell people all the time, I said, that was kind of like a seasoning for me. Like that kind of helped me to, to home in my skills a little bit more before I went to Florida State and play. Cause you know, when you go to Florida State, now you got to say, can I play with these guys and stuff like that? So for me playing two years at junior college, you know, instead of going to Florida State and sit for two to three years where you don't get the opportunity, I had the opportunity to go and play and see the, uh, my skills or learn to continue how to learn how to be an offensive lineman. So for me personally, I enjoyed my two years at, uh, at junior college because it kept me, it helped me to, to be better when I got to, to FSU. Is it true you only gave up one sack in two years at JUCO? Hey, that's hey, that's what I had to do, man. You know, you was, uh, you got to realize you're playing <laughs> on a Thursday night. Uh, you riding the bus. You know, it was it, for me personally. It was fun for me. You know, coming from a rural area was great. But you know, I think that's where you make your mark because a lot of time, what, what it, I don't know how you, if you know how JUCO work. They all, like an in state. They bring all the players. So out of state, they only bring like six guys. So this guy might one guy might be he might be uh, a scout. He might be a project from Georgia. He might be a prospect from. Uh, Clemson. So these guys that, you know, maybe had bad grades or got in trouble or something like that, you know, kind of like how, you know, they did the last time you kind of like Juco is like for those guys, like, but most of the time those teams only bring in six guys. So those guys, you build a bond with those guys. You kind of have these dreams set up and stuff like that. So you want to go out there and try to be your best because it basically the recruiting start all back over because you go down there, you get all the accolades. And then all of a sudden, you're recruiting star all over. You know, when I when I came out of there, I got the Offensive Player of the Year Award. And I was at my banquet. And at that time, everybody knew I was going to Florida State. But at the same time, Alabama was trying to recruit me, too, at the same time. You know, because now my name is back on this list of players. You know, because a lot of teams don't do JUCO players. But back then, they was recruiting JUCO players. And Alabama was trying to recruit me at the same time. So at the same time, I was at my JUCO receiver uh, mile award. Bobby Bound came to, to my award show, kind of like just, you know, I was going to Florida State no matter what, but that was a good thing for Bobby Bound, you know, in this little rural town in Mississippi, and Bobby Bound comes in for the, for the, for the award. That was pretty cool. That kind of, kind of sealed it for me. But at the same time, my mama called me like, hey, uh, Gene Stallings is here trying to recruit you, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, Mom, I'm not going to Alabama. I'm going down to Florida State. Florida State been with me from day one. I'm going to Florida State. I think that's the best opportunity for me. So I stuck with Florida State. That's pretty cool. Bobby was smart. He knew what he had. He said, I better get to this young man's banquet just to confirm. I know, right? He, he probably like, hit the Like triple, stuff, triple like, confirm. Know, so like, hey, but he's he's back, you know. Because honestly, when I was when I was in high school, I didn't I didn't really get recruited. I didn't do any visits and stuff like that. So because you know, what I'm saying I was a, considered a junior at the time, and a lot of people didn't want to deal with a, a kid that might miss his whole senior year of football. Right. So you head to Florida State. Uh, you have to redshirt one year there, right? And then you. Uh... I had to redshirt. You know what happened was because I was taking classes there, and a lot of the you know a lot of time when you come to JUCO. A lot of you, you, you're taking a class, and then all of a sudden they'll say, "Oh, this class don't. We got to figure out how to get this class from JUCO." So I didn't get cleared until like I did everything. I practiced, I did everything, but I just couldn't play until I get cleared. And I didn't get cleared till like game five or game six. 
And the coach said, the best thing for you to do is just sit and watch this year. So I sit and watch, you know. And at that time, you know, at Florida State, it's all about waiting your turn. And at that time, you know, you had guys that was waiting their turn. They had been there for two or three years. So it kind of worked out for me. I got a chance to practice every day. And that's where you learn. You, you practice with the guys. These guys back then were, you know, kind of like I tell people all the time, I said Florida State was kind of similar to what Alabama is today where, you know, they don't, you know, they don't, you know, they say they, they don't, they don't, what they don't rebuild, they, they, whatever. That's how Florida State was. You know, the, the fifth guy was probably a, a five star player too, but he got to wait his turn. So now you're getting all this work at practice, you know. So when you got to the game, the games was easy because you're going against the best guy out there on the football field on practice. So for me personally, that helped me out a lot. So I, I got a chance to practice every day, learn every day, but didn't have to worry about going on the football field. And, and, and know am I ready or could I play at this level? So for me personally, it worked out for me. And people don't even know this too. Even my year that I did play, my one year I played at Florida State, I was rotating with two other tackles. So my whole year, I wasn't even starting. I was, the, the, the two starting tackles, they were waiting their turn. They, one was a senior and one was a junior. I want to think it was a junior. So they was waiting their turn. It was their turn to start. But the coach said, we got to get you on the football field. So they will play a series. And then I would go in for the left tackle. I'll play a series, and then I go in for the right tackle. So we rotate like that throughout the whole season. And we was the number one team in the in the in the, in the country for the whole year. Only game we lost was a championship game. So, people, that's a little quiz that everybody can have there. Yeah, you're a, you're an All American, and mm-hmm. uh, you decided to forego your senior year. And it ended up working out. You were six overall in the '97 <laughs> draft. How did how did that how did you make that decision? Was that a decision you and your mom made? Was it you and Bobby Bowden? You just sit down and go. No, you know, it's time. you know what I, the I decision get going. made for me personally because I was you know at that time you know even though I did want to go to the league at that time I was excited that you know I was playing for FSU, uh, and my goal was to to to, to bring this school a championship. I wanted to be part of a championship team. You know, this team was good. You're playing with some of the best players. So I wanted to do that. But what happened was right when we were getting ready to right, you know, you get that little break right before you go to the bowl game. And they came out with this. When I walked in the locker room one day, the, the players were looking at me. I don't know if they do this in baseball or not, but they have a list of uh, draft picks or guys that they think should be in the draft. And, you know, they, they do every position, you know, what's your – What's your what's your position and all that stuff? So when I walked in, you know, they were looking at some guys, and then all of a sudden, I you know, basically what these guys were doing. Everybody that walked in, they were like, "Oh, let's see what they got you ranked there." So when I walked through the locker room, they was like, "Oh, hey, Walt, let me see what you ranked." There. I'm like, "Man, I only you know, I'm playing, I'm playing just a little bit, and I'm you know, I'm you no, know, I'm, I'm rotating." So I'm thinking like, "Man, there's no way I'm on this draft list." And then when the draft list came out, I think that year it was Orlando Pace. And I was number two. So I was like, and then everybody just, you know, that's when everything just started going crazy. Oh, Walt, he's coming out. He's, you know, at that time, I wasn't even thinking about it. I'm like, man, I'm not coming out. And then what happened after that was, you know, at that time, that's when agents started talking to you. So I, I had, I got to start getting calls from agents. And I talked to this one agent, agent, and I was like, just asking a question. And he was like, well, you know what, man, you know, when we was talking to them, most of what agents do when they go and talk to some of the high profile guys, they'll say, hey, if a if a guy on the team that you think if he came out he would get drafted, what you think? And everybody named me, so that's how it all got started for me. And honestly, I still wasn't thinking about it because I was thinking to myself, I owed it to the uh, I owed it to the uh, to Florida State. I need to play a complete season. You know, I wasn't really starting. I was thinking to myself, come back, play another season. But then again, I knew what I was doing. I was trying to 
uh, get to the next level. And I felt then that was my opportunity. You know, at that time, there was Orlando Pace. And I said to myself, that's one team. I said, that's 32 teams. I said, I, that's an opportunity for me to go there. So that's how I made my decision. It was never anything with my mom. I made the decision on my own. My mom, when I talked to my mom about it, my, honestly, my mom didn't have no idea what was going on. So, you know, my mom had supported me throughout the whole process. And she was like, hey, if you feel like this is something that you want to do and you're ready, go ahead. I'll support you 100%. And that's all I needed. And, and and that's how it worked. Honestly, I'm gonna tell you this. This is what I tell people all the time. I said, what reason? What what made? What, what I was kind of like seventy thirty coming out. And what pushed me over the top was I went to class. I was still not. When I got done with this championship game, we went back to school. I wasn't convinced that I was gonna go out and come out. I was like, I'm going back to school. Went to school for the first week. We got into class, and the professor was talking about a paper was due on that Friday. And I hadn't done anything since we got out for the scriptures break for the bowl games. I hadn't done anything. So I didn't know nothing about no paper. And that convinced me. I thought, okay, that's time for me to come out. So I made my decision to come out there. So basically a paper was made my final decision to come out for the draft. <laughs> you got drafted in 97. My draft, I came out of college in 1990. And the baseball draft, and I'm, I'm always curious about this, you know, uh, when I have guys, uh, NFL players on the podcast, I, because the drafts, you know, baseball's trying to catch up, but it's still the NFL drafts is different. It's always been higher profile. It's always a bigger deal. It's always prime time. Or you know, baseball's trying now with MLB Network and trying to yeah. to try to be, but it'll never be the NFL draft. So basically, yeah. how I got I got figured out I got drafted. I got a phone call from a scout and said, "Yeah, we got you, Seattle Mariners." Da, 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 and off you go. And they come out to my house and negotiate. I know the football. And see, all, only my reference are a couple players and Jerry <laughs> Maguire, the movie. But lead me up to that draft. You said you start talking to agents and you're getting ready yep. for that draft. And you're, you know, pretty much everybody's telling you you're going to be in the top 10. So yep. right before that draft starts, do you know where you're going? Do you have an idea? Does your agent you know what? have I a little bit no of insider? You know, or- coming to Coming to Seattle was I didn't think it. You know, you do you, you at that time they can once you once you make your make your announcement that you're coming out and now so now they do this mock draft and so at that year they came out with a elite six they came, they topped the top six and I was part of that top six I, they didn't have me and they had me I don't even I can't remember where they had me going but they just had me in the top six of all the top guys that was coming out that year I think I, I think you know you can't put me to it but I can name some of the guys it was Orlando Pace it was Sean Springs it was uh, Peter where it was a bunch of guys but at that time I still didn't know I went on a couple of visits I went to St. Louis St. Louis told me they said if Orlando Pace wasn't in the draft we would draft you so I do did okay I'm not going there uh, and I tell people all the time to this day I went out to Oakland and I thought Oakland I thought I was going to Oakland you know coming from coming from the south I was like oh my god I'm going to Cali you know that song I think it was by Big E or somebody <laughs> I'm going back to Cali or uh, the LL Cool J I'm going back to Cali whatever it was I thought to myself you know uh, a southern guy going out to Cali you know because at that time nobody knew about Seattle I tell people Seattle is like my friends always tell me back south I'm coming to visit I say hey that's no destination that brings you to Seattle Ain't nobody don't nobody be sitting at home to hey I'm going out to Seattle. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I was telling, you know, that's what I was telling my family. But then when I left Oakland, my, my agent was like, how you feel about it? I said, I don't know. I said, Oakland set it out. They, 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 they laid out the red table. Everybody was there. All the coaches were there. We were sitting at this big old table. They asked me all these questions. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is where I'm going. So when I was leaving Oakland, I was supposed to be heading back home to Alabama. And my agent said, no, we need you to go out to Seattle. We need you to fly to Seattle. So they changed my flight. I flew out to Seattle. I came out to Seattle. There was nobody here. I got picked up by some guy in a minivan 
and he took me to the complex. There was nobody there. Only person I met was the offensive line coach. It was dark. We went upstairs to his office. He showed me one play. He asked me, he said, what was you doing on this play? I told him what I was doing, and that's all he wanted to ask. And he said, you want to walk around and see the, 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 the building? So we walked around. We saw the, you know, showed me the O-line room, the, the workout room, and that was it. Got on the plane there. My coach said, how did it, my agent said, how did it go? I said, man, I said, I don't know. I said, I didn't meet nobody. All I met was the coach. I didn't meet the general manager. I didn't meet the head coach. I didn't meet nobody. And I was thinking to myself, there's no way I'm going to Seattle. I didn't think I was going to Seattle. Then Seattle had a draft pick at three, so they drafted Sean Springer at three. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to Oakland. I'm going to Oakland. Then, you know, Seattle made another trade with Tampa, and boom, I ended up in Seattle. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. So now I call Seattle home. Yeah, you and me I both. Know you know, I, I, I came up, uh, you know, I came up with the Mariners and, and, I got drafted in 90 and then I got traded to, to Cincinnati and I went to Atlanta and San Diego. I had a couple stops before I came back to Seattle in 01. But you're right. I, I thought about when I got drafted, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to get drafted by the Yankees or the Phillies no. or the Cubs. And the Mariners called. I'm like, Mariners? Well, I guess I'm a Mariner. You know, next thing you know, well, a couple of years later, I, I, was I, was, I guess, uh, you know, and, and, and I tell people all the time, I said from this point, you know, when I went to Florida State, you know, I didn't have to worry about tickets. So when I got out here, I didn't have to worry about tickets. So when nobody flying to Seattle, so it gave me an opportunity to come here and focus on football, focus on just building myself up, building, you know, who, you know, do, you know, getting to know the city and stuff like that. So for me personally, it was probably the best thing to happen to me and to be part of something that you saw, uh, 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 organization that changed around, you know, being in mo- uh, what, three Super Bowls and one, one. So, you know, to be a part of that, to say, you know, I finished my career in Seattle. So that's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. And, and what a city, man. Did you start no. in 97? Were you still in the kingdom? Yeah, we're still in the kingdom. We played. I played two years in the kingdom, and I think. Did you, did I you like play, Did you like playing there? I tell people what happened. Did you like playing there? Oh, I loved it. You know, for me personally, you no know, big boy. You know, you know, you know. Back then, you know, you thought you had a little flat back then, and back then on the turf you could wear like tennis shoes. So for right. me personally, you know, back then it was all about shoes. So you was literally wearing, you know, that turf. You know, you played on that turf too, right? So you know how hard that turf was. So you playing in cleats was not going to happen. So playing in some basketball shoe was probably the best route. So think about, you know, because I love basketball. So for me, I was always trying to find a dope pair of basketball shoe to rock while you was playing basketball, playing on that on that turf. So I enjoyed it because you, no matter what the, no matter how the weather was, it was seven two degrees. So that's the only thing I enjoyed about playing in the kingdom. No matter how bad it was, wet, rainy outside, it was seventy two degrees when you walked in that, into the kingdom. Yeah, when I, I early in my career, I got to play in the kingdom for a couple of years, and it was a great place to hit. Everything was hard and fast, and you mm-hmm. went in the gap. It's ricochet. I felt like I was playing a, a pinball machine. <laughs> and and when I came back in one, you know, they had Safeco open, and you know, we had a, we had a great run. But yep. uh, man, I love I love that city of Seattle and the early two yep. thousands when the Mariners were rocking. Me and you were there at the same time. Yep. I was there. I was there at the playoff game against the Yankees, man. That was when I first got I got indoctrinated into uh baseball playoff, you know what I'm saying? Because I had been to a couple of games. I think it was I think it was the year that the Mariners had won over hundred games. I won hundred and sixteen games that year. Was you part of the team at that time? hundred when they were, y'all won hundred and sixteen? Yeah, and I was. think and y'all, and y'all, y'all was playing the Yankees, and I think y'all played the Yankees in the. And I, want, I want to say the division round. I'm not sure. You know, I, at that time I was still learning the baseball, how that works and stuff. But right. to be in that crowd, 
that was pretty crazy, you know what I'm saying, just to be, you know, and I tell people all the time, I said, man, if this team ever get good and start winning, I said, this fan base out here is crazy. Just to be a part of that, to see that picture, you know, on that mile with all that pressure, man, it was pretty freaking crazy. You know, because you, know, you're playing big games in, in football, but to be on that mile when all that stuff is going on, man, it's crazy, though. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's amazing, and I tell people about it all the time because uh, – that 01, 02, 03, 04, I mean, that was, you know, kind of everything was new, Safeco. We had a really good team. Mm-hmm. We had a really good run. And I remember coming out of the dugout on a Monday night, you know, playing the pick a team. It doesn't matter. The Kansas City Royals. Mm-hmm. And there was 50,000. And, I mean, it was electric. Now, the Mariners, you know, obviously they haven't been to the, they haven't been in the playoffs in 18 years. But a few years back, yeah. I, I – uh, you know, I flew out to Seattle and I went to see a, a Seahawk game. And I remember coming up the kind of the corridor with that, that haze in the background. It was, and I hadn't yeah. been to the new stadium. And, and, you know, I think I went there once while I was playing. But I, I come pulling up and I remember I got in my seats and I was just looking around. And the electricity, and, and you mentioned that city of Seattle, if you win, yeah. that fan base will come out in droves. And I they remember definitely will come out in droves. You know, my son is a big baseball fan now. You know, he got it. He got he got connected last year. You know, I, I want to say last year when they went on that little run where they were like, if they had to win out to get in the playoffs, they, they had an right, opportunity. Right. So my son was going to like every game. He was like, Daddy, I'm like, I said, if they make the playoff, I'm going to be there. So he was there like when they was like, and you know, the things fell short, but they got a chance. You know, I got some buddy. I got a chance to, you know, because I'll fall a little bit. I, I don't usually fall into the game of playoffs because I think the playoff is when the pressure builds, you know, because y'all play so many games. So I think the pressure <laughs> builds once you get in the playoff. So when you're playing the playoff i got a chance to go down to la and get a chance to see the dodgers when they're playing atlanta to be a part of that you know that that playoff atmosphere for baseball is crazy i tell people all the time i said if you get the chance to go to a playoff game man you get a chance when the game when everybody's playing good like you know when you got two good teams that anybody can win at any moment or go or go on a run any moment in any inning i said that's when baseball is fun yeah, it is. And you, and you mentioned we play a lot of games. We play so many games. And all my football buddies, they always we always talk about, you know, the physicality between football and, and baseball. I said, listen, you go out once a week, get your butt kicked, get your brains bashed in. I said, I just got like mosquitoes on me for 162 games in a row. And they just, just constantly are nicking away at me. And by the end, yeah. I feel like I'm so exhausted. I just need to lay down. Yeah. But, uh, but then I guess you have to love it too, though. Like just to be a part of that, you know, just to be every night, every other night you're playing a game. So you, do, I guess you would, you know, if we was playing that many games or playing that quick, you know, that's why a lot of guys don't like the Thursday night game because you don't have that much, you know, that time to recover so i know that's got to be tough you know especially those guys that are actually playing every game where you got to stay you know how do you keep that you know just because i'm assuming you have those laws where you're like man this is tough this is one of those dog days week where you just like man i'm i need a reboot or something like that's a lot of games but i totally get it i understand it though so well, I it, and your quarterback for years, Matt Hasselback. We had him on the mm-hmm. on the show, and I remember back in the early two thousands, we were at a banquet, and first time Matt and myself met, and we we got into a little friendly argument. We were talking about the toughness to play football versus baseball. I was making my argument, he was making his, and it made me really think about it. I, you know, and, and you just brought up a great point. Baseball, it's every day. There's no, and no. if you're one of the main guys. There's nowhere to hide. It's not like you got a day yeah. off tomorrow. You're playing tomorrow. You got to be on your game day. too, though. You know, it's, it's crazy. You know? 
But I think there's pros and cons. You know, when you're hot, you can't wait to get to the ballpark. But when you're not, man, there's nowhere to hide. And and I looked at it on the football side. If you have a great game on Sunday, you walk around for a week with your chest puffed out like, yeah, yeah. But the, yeah. the flip side to that is you got a bad week. You got to walk around you all week through the city. All day long. And then even though, like I tell people all this, I don't know if this baseball how it works. Like if you're winning, sometimes bad stuff get put up on the rug. They don't, they don't, you don't get highlighted. But then once you lose, all that stuff come back in full force. Like, okay, if I mess up on this play, but we winning, it doesn't. It's not as highlighted as much. I always tell people that all the time. Like, I, I, I'd rather be coached no matter if we winning or losing. So you, you're even kill. But sometimes when you're winning, or like you say, when you're on a roll, a lot of stuff gets swept on a rug and don't get magnified until you lose, and then all of a sudden that stuff. And I think coaches use that too. But I tell people all this with football players. I said, you don't know how tough it is until you get out there on that major major league park get on that field that field is it's intimidating you know what i'm saying that's not just for everybody you know i was i was at a band some guy had a birthday party where they was having band practice at the they they had everybody you know, i didn't get in the band pen but i was at, <laughs> I, I started catching some of the balls and uh and i was at third base so so basically i was trying to i was catching a grounder from third base and trying to third to first base you know on tv it looked like oh that's simple that is, <laughs> hey, that is a long way, bro. Like, hey, even you know, I've done the first pitch. First pitch is intimidating. I tell people all the time. People are like, oh, don't bounce it. I'm like, I'm not a pitcher, so why are you gonna tell me not to bounce it? I'm like, you don't feel it until you, you know. Like, they have the little, they have the little, um, they have the little practice thing outside. Like, like, okay, practice it. This is about the distance. I'm like, okay, cool. You throwing it? Oh, it feels good. But then until you get on that mound, you're like, holy crap! Now you thinking like everybody's watching you. How's I'm gonna get this ball to that plate? You know, you just try your best. How do I get that ball? You know, people like don't bounce it. You know, now now guys, I think people are playing the role like throw a bad pitch to get on ESPN. So, yeah, but th- I think that's the cool part of of what we do, and and uh, you know, crossover NFL to the NBA to golf to mm-hmm. to Major League Baseball. For us, it's easy, but but then I, you know, I had Wes Welker on the program, and and. People used to tell me all the time when I was playing, you know, teammates would say, Booney, what would you do if you couldn't play second base? I said, you know, I'd be like Wes Welker in the NFL. I'd just go across the middle and get my get, you know, I'd I'd go into the middle of the field and get my brains knocked out. I think I could do that. You know, we're about the same size. We're about the same speed. I think I could do that. Yeah. Until you do it. I've never got, I've never got my head level going across the middle. Hey, that's what I tell but, people. You know, hey, you know, hey, like I tell people, I tell young people when they be asking me about playing sports, I say, man, I said, I'm going to tell you what sports is about. I said, I said, when you're sitting at, I said, practice, when you're sitting at practice and you know your friends drive by you on a rainy day, especially out here, it's like, my son used to play. I said, you know, they be out there, the kids be out there playing. I said, you have to stay focused on that rainy, cold day where you know your boys and hit you up talking about they doing this because they don't play sports. And now you got to stay focused to try to play the game. I said, that's when you figure out, is this, is this for me? It's not about the hitting part. I think if you're playing and you understand, you're going to get hit. You know, this ain't, again, you know, I had a guy who was talking to me about his He's a safety, a young kid, like a freshman in high school. And a little little frail little kid. He want to play football, but right now he's so scared. So, you know, I just try to convince him, like, hey, man, just, just stay with it. Don't be afraid. If you if you see the play, make a play. Don't worry about what's going to happen after the fact. You know, he was just so frail. Like, he was just, when he was talking to me, you know, maybe because I was so big over him, I probably was scared of him. But he want to play the game, but his dad was like, he's just so fearful of getting hit, don't want to get hit. So I'd be like, hey, if he can't hit nobody, he better be able to cover and defend because if he can't hit, he ain't going to make it. You know, the funny, all right, I'm going to ask you a question. 
would you fear getting in the batter's box right now, facing like a, I don't know, pick somebody, a Garrett Cole, throwing, throwing mm-hmm. 97, 98. And if he decided, eh, eh, Walter Joe, I'm, I'm not, I'm not too happy with him right now. Would you be worried about getting hit by a 98 mile an hour fastball? Yes, I would, man. Come on. Like I even get worried. I have done, I have, you know, I know it's not the same. I went to the little batter's box things, like, you know, at the little fun park, you know, sometimes right. they have like a hundred, like that scares the heck out of me. So I know <laughs> if I'm in a batter box and a guy is mad at me and he throw any inkling to my head, I know right. I would be done, you know? And sometimes like, you know, I, like I said, I go to a lot of the games. I know a lot of guys and I ask guys and they say, I was like, I said, do that ball really hurt? So like, if it bounce off the ground, he's like, man, you don't understand how hurt that ball is like. That ball is that ball does major damage. Like if that ball hits you, you're gonna have a bruise or you're gonna be hurting for a while. <laughs> oh, it's gonna hurt. But you know, it just shows how sport to sport, it's just relevant to what we do. For you, yeah. oh, getting hit by a hundred miles an hour, you can't even imagine it. But me mm-hmm. pass rushing against you and you putting me in the I can't <laughs> even imagine head, that. Can't imagine that. I can't either. even imagine that. And that's no big deal to yeah. you facing these yeah. big guys rushing the passers. So no, that's very cool stuff. All right, we'll get back to the the your Seahawk career. Uh ninety seven, your first your your first season you play in twelve games. Then we get to when when you start your, you know, be becoming the 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 guy that ends up going to the Hall of Fame in the long run. Mm-hmm. Nineteen ninety nine, you're a Pro Bowler. Uh two thousand one, you're a Pro Bowler. You, you go to the Pro Bowl from oh one to oh to eight. You're a four time uh first team all pro. And and take me through those years in Seattle. Uh you're first. You're blocking for Ricky Waters, and you're you're blocking for Sean Alexander. And the and the stuff that really intrigues me about, especially offensive linemen, is you're blocking for that quarterback. What's the relationship between that quarterback and I think Hasselback was was your quarterback for a lot of your years there. Yeah, he was. What, he was. What's that relationship between like a Sean Alexander and a Matt Hasselback? It's like, all right, Big Walter, you got it in you today. You get a block for me. <laughs> what is that relationship? I think, I think, I think for great? us as offensive linemen, I think you learn that early. You know, once you realize that this is your goal, you know, a lot of time I think guys forget, you know, understand their role. So. For me personally, I understood, you know, what I was there for. My job is to open up the holes and, and protect my quarterback. And I, and I really, when I went out there, that's what I wanted to do. And I think the thing, the cool thing about me personally, when I got into the league, I had, you know, because a lot of times, me personally, I'm a visual person. I like to watch other people and see how they do it. So when I got into the league, you know, I don't know if you know a lot about football. When I got introduced to offensive line play, uh, it was Anthony Muno. That's my, that's my go-to oh. guy. That's the guy that I learned the game of football from. I watched. I said, I want to be just like that guy. But when I got to the Seahawks, I had so many offensive linemen that I could watch that played the game at a very high level. So for me, it, it was easy for me to go out there and say, okay, I know what I got to do today. I can't give up no sacks. I, I used to play this game where, I, you know, like sometimes you see receivers or you see, you know, I remember when Chad Johnson used to do this thing where he would have where he would mark off every every cornerback that he would have a good game against just check it out. So for me personally, I was like, for an offensive lineman, you don't have stats. You don't know what, you know, you're just quarterback have a good game and you win that's basically your stats and your running back run for good yards that's your stats but you know you really don't get recognized unless you're giving up a penalty or you're giving up a sack so for me personally you know then i start when we get on the bus you know i don't know if they do it in baseball i'm assuming they give you a stat sheet everything that happened throughout the game they, they come on the bus and for offensive linemen you're not you're looking at one or two things you're looking at the total yardage do you give up penalties what's your third down for efficiency was but for me personally you don't ever look at nothing then you say okay how do i how can i 
make a guy feel bad when he look at the stat sheet. So I said to myself, the guy that I'm going against, when he look at the stat sheet, I wanted to say number zeros. Because, you know, defensive guys get every stat. They get a tackle. They get a tackle for a loss. They get a – if they tackle with somebody, they get a tackle. They fumble recover. Everything. They get so many stats. So I said to myself, when that guy look at his stat sheet, I want him to look at and see nothing but zero. Even though he might have said, I had a great game. But, when you know, everybody live on stats. So I, I wanted that guy to look at the stat sheet and say, dang, I didn't do nothing to help this team win today. So that was my goal every time I went out. And I just wanted to get better every year I played. You know, uh, when Hasselback came here with Mike Holmgren, you know, Mike Holmgren kind of changed the culture here in Seattle. So I wanted to be a part of that and, and wanted to make sure that I was doing my part to make sure that we was going out there and setting the standards. After after one of your tailbacks or somebody has a big game and you know you, you – you as a unit, you as an offensive unit, you did a great job that game. You know you did. Mm-hmm. Do you after the game in that locker room? Those guys come up to you. Let's say Alexander. Oh, has totally. A day. He runs, those, those he runs for, he runs for two hundred yards. I remember one year. You know, Ricky, we was we was not pass protecting pretty good, and 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 Coach Holmes was like, "We're gonna run the ball all game." And Ricky Ross like, "Y'all might can't play a block wolf of crap." But y'all running block like crazy. So, you know, that's some of the thing. You know, running backs want the ball and they want their thousand yards. So you get a chance to, to get a guy like Ricky Water. Uh, you get a, you know, people don't even understand. We had a Maude Green, a guy that kind of went to Green Bay and kind of, kind of flourished. But still, we you know when he was here as a young guy, we thought this kid's going to be nice. And then you get a guy like Sean, Sean, Sean Alexander, a guy that was, you know, proven, you know, was, did the same thing in high school. Uh, college and was able to do it at Seattle too. So to block for a guy like that, you know, it makes your job so much easier, man. You go out there, all you got to do is, you know, I tell offensive linemen, I say, you have to stay in front of them. I said, running backs, they want to see your jersey. When they start seeing other guys' jersey, that's when they don't do nothing. So long as they see your jersey, they can make plays. So anytime you go out there, that's what you want to do to make sure you make it precise for him to see what you're doing so he can make his cuts. Interesting. You you brought up Munoz, one of also one of the greatest to ever do it, and uh, mm-hmm. I got yeah, to know him a little totally. bit when in my years uh, playing in Cincinnati. He'd come in the locker room awesome. once in a while. Always a great guy, and and I always remember that as a young player. Get to '05. Get to go to your first uh-huh. Super Bowl. Uh, everybody has a different story. How's that two weeks leading up to? to that Super Bowl. It's and and I kind of talk about it too much, but it is. It's really people don't understand in the world of sports. Going to a Super Bowl, let alone winning a Super Bowl, going to a World Series, let alone winning one is so hard to do. And it's such a special time. You know, I went to World Series, got my butt kicked. Uh but it, I still got to go, and if I could, if I could choose, uh, I'd say no. I'd rather go and lose than not go at all. I had Andre Reed and and Thurman Thomas on the program. They went to you know back in the nineties. They went to know, four right. straight. They lost four straight, and they told me that they said, "Brett, I'd rather go to the four and lose and say I was there four times than not to be able to go." Uh, 05, you get to go to your first one. Give me that two weeks leading up to that 05 Super Bowl. How special it is! Uh, yeah, it, it was me- crazy. I don't even know. I'm trying to figure out. Was it even two weeks back then? I think they had. Changed it where they was doing one week because they were doing the Pro Bowls. I wouldn't even know if it was two weeks back then because they had did something where, but still just getting prepared, you know, like you don't, everything is new to you, you know, getting ticket orders, you know, dealing with your family and friends. So it's just a lot of chaotic stuff, you know. You play in the NFC Championship game, and then all of a sudden you're, you're, now you're in the Super Bowl where now is, you know, I tell people all the time the Super Bowl is a big corporate event. It's not like, it's not, you know, a lot of times people say the, the big game is the NFC. This game where you got all your true fans there. That when you get to the Super Bowl, it's a whole different ball game. But for me personally, I think the thing I tell people all the time, I think 
I didn't take a chance to enjoy it. Like, you know, you you know, a lot of times the coaches will tell you, stay to your routine, stay to your routine, but then understand that this is a Super Bowl. This is different. This ain't like every other game. This is the, the game to win it all. And I try to stay with that routine and then go like you a lot of the guys go out for pregame. I don't go I usually didn't go out for pregame during the season, so I would listen to the coach, stay to my but I didn't take in everything that was going on. And I you know, honestly for me personally, I just think we were just as a team wasn't ready to win it that at that moment, you know, even though we probably was the better team. I just don't think we were just ready to win it, you know, just to say, okay, we can win this, you know, just because I think we were more excited about the fact that we was in the Super Bowl and forgot, hey, we got to go ahead and win it. But, you know, that's, that's, that's a here or there. Like you say, I would go back anytime because you're, you're the one or two team, you know what I'm saying? You have to, you have to win multiple games to get there. So like you say, like that, I can understand why the Buffalo Bill would say, hey, I would go every year. If we lose, I would go every year because you're the last two, two teams standing. So that tells me that you had to win the tough NFC the AFC game to get there. So anytime you get a chance to represent your team in a Super Bowl, you know, even if you win or lose, you know, that's pretty awesome. You know, like they say, you don't never remember the loser, but you know who the losers are. You know those teams are pretty good too, but, you know, it's it's like they say, it's any given Sunday. So if you get that opportunity, uh, enjoy it. I would tell people to go outside, see the festivity, see what's going on, enjoy it, because you might not get back there, you know what I'm saying? So I will tell you that, and that's one thing I hate that I didn't do, that I didn't get a chance to go out and see the fanfare and see what it was all about. You know, it's amazing, though. We all do the same thing, Walter. I, I have the same, you know, when, when young kids ask me or kids just starting off, hey, Brett, if you would have done something different, what would you have done? I said, you know what? I, I would have taken the time to sit back and enjoy what I got yeah. to do for a living. But when we're in the heat of the battle, when we're there with that jersey on our back, we don't think anything. It's just what we yeah. do. And we're worried about who we plan next. You, you're probably worried about yeah. uh, the guys rushing to power. All right. Who do I got this week? What are his tendencies? I'm thinking about who am I facing tomorrow? Am I facing Pedro Martinez? Hey, you're doing, uh, you know what? You're doing that throughout the season. You know what I'm saying? Just stop changing. But you're like you're saying, once you get to that moment, when you get to, like you say, when you get to the World Series, Series. Now you're it's a different ball. Every you know, y'all play, you know, multiple games. You know, one game is really not a factor, but still again, every game means something different. So you have to embrace that. You know what I'm saying? You have to embrace every game. You know what I'm saying? Like right. I saw somebody was saying about the NBA, they should change it to a one and done. Because they say they play too many games in a, you know, it's kinda like, you know, a team will start a series and they lose two games and they go on four a four oh runs. I'm like, if the NBA, like we could we won't survive like that if we had to play that many games, you know, just to win one game. You know what I'm saying? A a win one series. So, but right. for me, I think once you get to that level, like you say, that would be one thing I would change where I would enjoy that moment. And I didn't do that. I tried to stay even keel through the whole process and then enjoy it afterwards. And even though I enjoyed that season, I enjoyed my whole career with Seattle, but still again, to be able to say that I was part of a, uh, a NFC championship team and then to be the first team to get to the Super Bowl. And, you know, for me personally, I got into the Hall of Fame in 2014. So I tell people all the time, I said the cool thing about that was I got in the Hall of Fame the same year that the Seahawks won their first ever Super Bowl. So, you know, it was bittersweet because I felt like we should have been the team that brought it here, but still, again, I support the team and, you know, I was happy for those guys. 2008, you get hurt and it ends up, uh, mm-hmm. that ends up being the end of your career. And the thing you were yeah. kind of known for other than not giving up many sacks was your durability. You played 180 yeah. games, you started 180 games. 
And, you know, it was interesting. I heard recently a, a buddy of mine that used to play for the Dodgers named Eric Karros. He, he's on one of the networks. And, and I heard him talking about baseball players and, and they were breaking down, you know, when you're getting evaluated in baseball, uh, there's five there's five categories. And, you know, it's called the five tools. And, and Eric said, you know, mm-hmm. there should be a sixth tool. And he started to explain it. And it's the first time it's been said like this, but I loved it. And I've been, I've been using it ever since. I always give him credit, but the ability to post and not everybody has that ability, the, the ability to go out there. I had teammates that just couldn't get up for it and couldn't play every day, but the guys that yeah. did, I really appreciated that. Cause it's something, yeah. it's something you find a way to get out on that field, especially when you're, you're a main guy. When I used yeah. to check the lineup, there's certain guys I expect, listen, we need you in there every day. I depend on you. And when you're not in there every day, you know, I can't depend on you. So that, that was something in your career. Like I said, other than known for not giving up too many sacks, that's another thing yeah. you were known for was your durability. And I guess now I'm going to coin the phrase, the ability to post. Exactly. You know, I think it's just part of the pro- the process you go through. I think for me personally, you know, I think the thing about me, once I did get hurt and then I had the microfracture surgery, you know, I knew as soon as I had that surgery, that was going to be hard for me because now the first thing they're going to tell you to do, you got to take some of the weight off your knee. And I'm like, well, that's part of my game, keeping my weight on me. I don't know if I could, you know, if I would have came in uh, light and played at a light weight, you know, maybe I could have did that, but you got to realize that's my key to my game being, you know, at a certain weight, the way I play. And and I knew I want I didn't want to go I could you know I tell people all the time like, it's a coin phrase you know you tell you know I think everybody have these guys on the team they call them guys you know still in the check you know what I'm saying I could have probably stole two che- two years of check but for me personally as a player I felt like you know I like you saying I was dependent on so it wasn't like I could go out there and half it you know I had to be at full full go every time I step on the football field and that's the standard that I set so when I made that decision to retire it wasn't like. You know, I could I could go out there and play at 75% or I could play at 80%. I wanted to be 100%. And not saying you play that long, you're not 100%, but you have to feel good enough to go out there and be able to feel like you can do what you can do to help this team win. So, And I felt like my body wasn't going to let me do that. Do that, so I wasn't gonna put myself in that situation. I felt like I had gave everything I had to this to the to, to, to this to, to this game and stuff like that, and I felt cool when I just made that decision to retire. Great, yeah, great career through 08. Not like I mentioned coming out, nine Pro Bowls, you end up getting elected. And we'll get to that a little bit later, 2014. Mike Holmgren, your, sk- your coach. Uh, I was about to call him a skipper. That's what we call him, baseball skipper. But your coach, <laughs> uh, best out- offensive player he ever coached. It's pretty high praise. John Madden, I was reading too, uh, who, who passed away recently in 2004. He said he's, he's the Walter Jones best player in the NFL. That's pretty high praise from, from two guys that have been around a lot, a lot of great players. How do you feel yeah. with somebody, somebody that's, you know what? It feels good. I think, I think the thing about it is that, uh, you know, you, you only thing you can say you did it the right way. You know, like I said, like I said earlier that, uh, I had some great guys to watch playing this game. Like I said, I put everything I, I you know, the, me loving the game, want to be an offensive lineman. I got it all from Anthony Munoz. So when I was coming up, when I was playing high school ball, my coach gave me a tape. And Anthony Munoz, you have the instructional tapes teaching guys, you know, and I was messing with him the last time I saw him at the Hall of Fame. I'm like, bro, we should bring that tape back. You know, like, I think kids would eat that up, you know, just a, uh, you know, even now, you know, we're older. We don't even have to do this stuff. We can get younger kids to do it for us. I said, bro, kids would eat that up because kids, these younger kids are always looking for 
people to listen to people that really, you know, a lot of times, a lot of times we don't highlight the office alignment, you knowing that you have to have a, a great office alignment to be successful in any, with it, at, at any level. So for me, but for, for me personally, I felt, it, it felt like I did it the right way, you know, and I think that's the way I try to, to, to look at it. Like, okay, that means that every time I stepped on that field, that, I gave my best effort and I played at a very high level. So for those guys to say that, cause like you say, those guys have saw so many football players to come through, uh, coach so many guys. And, you know, you know, you're thinking about, you know, Hongram, you know, you know, you had, you know, what seen Jerry Rice, he's seen Joe Montana, you know, so seen so many guys. So for me to be in that conversation or be in that, to say that, that's pretty amazing that, you know, he respected things that I was able to do as an offensive lineman, you know what I'm saying? You know, how's it like you said with Hasselbeck? You know, Hasselbeck, you to joke all the time. It's like, man, you and Hudson came rock stars. And uh, I kind of take that with offensive linemen because a lot of times offensive linemen don't want to be offensive linemen. I'm like, well, you're not going to make it because once you figure out your role, you're going to be okay. And I say, you can be a rock star. There is, there's enough out there for you. So don't make it seem like, you know, once you figure out your role, you'll be okay. All right, now I got some baseball player, football player questions. So I'm, okay. I'm you're going to educate me here. I'm going to I'm going to learn All something right now because I'm come I'm interested in this. Okay, right. being an offensive line, I know you're left tackle, which you got the uh-huh. you got the court you got a quarterback's blindside. Mm-hmm. Very important role. I've I've learned that through the years. What are the tells? How do, how do you prepare each and every week? What are the tells, the body language on the that you're watching the defenders uh, going into a week? What are you looking for in that film? How are you going to get the jump on the on the count? All these, you know all these, what, all these all questions. This, I had to learn how to read film. I said when I was first, when I first got in the league, I didn't know how to watch film. You know, you, you if you watch anything on TV, you see a lot of guys saying they have to learn how to watch film. You know, most of the time, a lot of these guys are. The, the big man on campus in high school, they better than everybody else. But once you get to this level, everybody is good. So for me personally, I had to learn. I think the cool thing about it now, like it's not about even reading signs or reading his, his – oh, he got his hands down or he got two hands down. He got half his feedback. A lot of time I learned about watching down and distance. A lot of time down and distance will tell you what the guy going to do. If it's third and one, oh, he's not going to he's – not, he's, not, he's not worrying about – uh, a pass. He's trying to think about a run. You know, it's third and five. So I tell people all the time, look at the, the down and distance. And that can tell you a lot of what this guy going to do for you. So for me personally, those are the things I used to look at, you know. And you you know, you, you, when, you, when you're young, you look at that stuff. When you're in high school, you look at, oh, he got his hands. You can see the, the blood pressure going through his hands. So he's coming off the ball or something like that. But these guys are so smart now. So I think it's more of, of you knowing what you're trying to do and what this guy going to do. Because right now, teams break down every Every down, third and one, third and seven, third and 15. So these guys are doing everything different. You know, if it's third and 15, he's thinking pass. So my guy might drop out. So now I'm not thinking about, okay, he's not, he's thinking about pass rushing or he might drop out and try to get into the pass cover because he's thinking third and 15, we, they got to try to get a first down. So I think it's the, the process of learning the game. And, you know, for me personally, when I first got in the game, man, I had on blinders, bro. I didn't know nothing like, my, I was learning the plays. My coach said, you got to block the end. Nine times out of ten, I'm blocking the end every time. But there's more to it than that. So, 
And as I got playing as my third year, my fourth year, I started taking my blinders off. Now I can sit there at my left tackle. I can see my defense in. You know, like I tell people all the time, as a lineman, you got to be able to multitask. You got to know what's going on around you. You got to see stuff going on around you. I could be at my left tackle and I could see the safety over there on the right side. I could be like, okay, I know what's going to happen now. That safety's coming down. He's going to drop. Or that safety coming down, they're going to run a stop. So that's the stuff because everything, like, you know, once people get to the, you know, like they say, when you get to the championship game, Ain't nobody doing nothing new. You know, you're doing stuff that is a it's a constant, you know, you're repeat, you're repeating it, repeating it. You're getting good at it. So that's the whole part about football. You're repeating it. So once you figure out what guys are kind of doing, now it's exit is old. Now I gotta beat the guy in front of me. So that's the kind of stuff that I learned as I got older, how to watch guys and see what these guys do on certain downs and how they attack on certain downs. And for me personally, I used to learn I try to try to figure out what I used to I learned this from Bruce Smith. I went against him, you know, and you know, and I still say you you learn repetition all, throughout the whole game. When he ran his stunt, he would run his stunt. The defense, the defensive tackle come to me, he would run around the defense, and they did it all game. Fourth quarter, when the game got close, boom, he did the same thing. He he stood up when the when the do the te, and I'm thinking he's been to run the te, so I. Went into the three technique and what he did, he kept going. He kept, he faked me out and ran around and made a sack. So that tells me that he was watching what I was doing throughout the whole game and then did it in the end of the game. So I tell, I tell younger guys to, you might know what they first and second move, but realize what are they going to do you in the third move or what are they going to do to you in the fourth move, fourth, fourth quarter, what they did in the first quarter because you pick up, you pick up these little signals and all of a sudden those signals will beat you in the fourth quarter. So I try to tell guys to always be thinking, throughout the whole game too. Now it's interesting because it's, you know, from a baseball standpoint, you know, a lot of great hitters that, that, that I played against and watched and, and I tried to incorporate it as much as I could. Same thing. It's like, if you strike me out with a breaking ball, my first two at bats late in the game, when things are on the line and you think you can go to that breaking ball again, well, you know, what, it's do, you coming. Think, what, what do you think I'm sitting on? And, and you got to take <laughs> into consideration. Right. Who That's I got to take awesome. into consideration. I, I, you know, I, I watch that a lot of times. Like, you watch it on TV. They say that. They say, oh, he knew that was coming because he did it in the first – he did it in the first ending. So that's pretty dope how they do that, though. You know, you know, you learn you – because learn, I'm assuming, you know, by the time you get further in the season, you got your pitches, right? You know your pitcher that you can pitch and what you can't pitch, right? Right. And you also have to know – you got you to gotta take into account who you're dealing with. Are you dealing with a young green pitcher? Or are you dealing with a salty veteran stud pitcher that might mix it up on you? You know, so you got okay, okay. to take all that into account. You mentioned a Bruce Smith, one of the best on that side of the ball. You know, that, mm-hmm. that would be part of my evaluation. All right, it is Bruce Smith. It's not some rookie guy that hasn't done this much. So I got to take that into account. And you said he, he, he got you in that particular time. Exactly. Was Brian, particular Brian moment, he got me for something where he had been doing the whole game. He'd been running that stunt. He haven't changed it up. He haven't taken me out. He'd been running the stunt. So me personally, as a young buck, I'm thinking, okay, as soon as I see him do this move, he's, he's running the stunt and I can feel the three technique coming. So what I do, my, my head turns straight to the three technique and what I do, boom, he run right past me, giving up a second. Don't, nobody <laughs> know that. People just saying, man, Walt just gave up a second by Bruce, but yo, Bruce just outsmart me. Cause that's what I've been coached. If when he stand up and go that way, you go back. Some, if he go that way, something is coming back. So that's what I did. But you know, that's part of the game. That's the game that, you know, like you said, the, 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 the superstars play. Yep. 
Uh, trash talking. Not much in baseball. I know there's a lot mm-hmm. of trash talking football. You see these baseball players, they get to first base. They're almost oh. giving each other hugs. It makes me kind of sick. I don't <laughs> like it, but I guess I was a part of it a little bit. We don't really talk trash. Now, in a time where before you see a bench clear and brawl or, or something might be going on, some might, might throw behind somebody's yeah. head. We might be chirping from the dugout, but actually yeah. on the field of play, when we're out there on the bases, there's never trash talk. I know football, NBA there's a lot of talk psychologically doing what you did for so many years. Was it satisfying when you just beat this guy into the dirt and he knew that you had his number? He had no chance. Can you take somebody's will away? Like by the end of the game, you you know, where you feel it, you can feel the guy like, okay, I'm done. I can't, you know, that's, he just quit. Guys there and he don't have, he can't do anything. He can't run. He can't do his second move or third move. And that's when you know, okay, I got this guy. He don't, he don't know what to do, you know. And, and most of the time, those are younger guys, guys that are still trying to figure out their moves and stuff. But you know, these these guys that are good, you know, they're all they keep you focused throughout the whole game. But yeah, I have played in the games where you feel like, okay, I got this guy. Will he can't do anything with me? And I tell people a lot of times, you know, like you say, you watch film, you know a guy. A lot of times, what gets me is the guy that haven't you don't you don't see on film. Like, say, if you're going against a guy the whole game, then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, they bring in young legs, uh, this guy that's just waiting on his moment. And he, I haven't seen no film of this guy. And all of a sudden, he's shoom, shoom, shoom. you be like, well, where the heck this guy come from? Like, no, go back to the sideline. Because, you know, because you get used to playing to a certain guy, and then all of a sudden now you're bringing this first young kid that he's ready to show out for his family. And all of a sudden, he's freaking speeding up. The, you're like, hold up, bro. Like, what are you doing? So those are the guys that I hate, the guys that – you don't get on film that don't be don't get they probably get one or two snaps in a game and then all of a sudden you're in a tough game and all of a sudden the guy that you're going against get hurt and now you got this hey it's my moment and now you're thinking like come on bro so you know now you got to show your big man powers and stuff like that and it's just if you talk to anybody those are the guys that you hate the guys that you don't see on film guys that you don't go against throughout the whole game i'm telling you no no different in baseball if if <laughs> we don't want to be surprised, I want to know yeah. who I know. He might be yeah. a great pitcher. He might be a Hall of Famer, but I've faced him 50 times. I know what to yeah. expect. All of a sudden you put you put some random Joe Smith who, who just got <laughs> called up from AAA. You'd want to see panic in a big league clubhouse. Put Joe Smith as the starting pitcher. <laughs> he just replaced Max Scherzer and you'll see panic. We'll be running for the hills trying to get information. Who is That's this guy? Is, anybody you don't want to anybody got any video? Sam all weekend and also you get a young like what you know yeah. I've never I've never been afraid of anybody like you know I, I mean I have, I have guys in the, in, the, in, the, in the locker room or shivering you know you're playing against somebody like uh, Reggie White or uh, uh, you know Bruce Smith and guys are, I've never been afraid of that part of the game because I said that's part of the game like if that guy if he whoop me he got to whoop me the whole game that's always my feel if you got to whoop my butt he got to whoop me the whole game I never was fearful but I have had guys that be in the locker room be sweating and won't do nothing all week, just nervous. I'm like, bro, it's a football game. Calm down. But, you know, I totally get it. But, <laughs> you know, but I, I've never feared that part of the game where guys would be fearful of a guy that's, you know, I remember when, um, I don't know if you remember doing a Super Bowl when I think when Jeremy Stevens and then Joey Porter got into it and a media got into it. And, you know, and, and I was sitting there like watching like highlights and, you know, like Joey Porter had like, you know, you're talking about trash talking. At that time, Joey Porter was like, he had his own little NFL, NFL, you know, segment where he was just, he was mouthing everybody. And I was like, man, I got to hit this guy mouth the whole game. Like, cause this guy had his own little ESPN uh, NFL special where they were just showing all his little clips of talking noise and stuff in the game. And then 
we get to the Super Bowl and him and German Stevens start going at it. You know, German said, I don't got to worry about him. He got to worry about, you know, and he called Jeremy South. So, you know, coach tried to kill it, but it was a done deal. And then we got in the game, didn't say too much. Then in one play, we had a block where the tight end blocked down on the DN. I rolled out, and it was German Stevens and Matt Hasselback started talking, or started clapping. Oh, Matt Hasselback, Hasselback said was, uh, good, good block, Jeremy. Good block, clapping hand. And, 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 and Joy Porter heard that, bro. I swear, this man turned into like a raging dog, man. He was cussing. Like, he like, I'm going to get you. Like, I'm like, and I told Hesselbeck, I said, Hesselbeck, man, you cannot win this battle. So they went at each other for like two, three series. Just yapping, yapping, yapping. I said, Hesselbeck, man, you cannot win somebody that trash talk. And Hesselbeck came to me the next hole. He said, you're right, man. I can't win. Because, you know, Hesselbeck is thinking about the game, and Joey Porter is just cussing him out, calling, you know, just like, I was like, this dude, like, I was telling Hutch, I said, man, this dude is like a, a raging dog, man. Like, he's just like, just, he didn't flip the switch, and, man, he just, Cussing and screaming, and well, he wasn't screaming at me though. But he just Matt Hasselbeck did that, bro. He was hot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I've been thinking about this, and this is this is my scenario. This is what I do at night. I think of scenarios. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're left tackle your whole life. You're protected mm-hmm. once again. You're protecting the blind side for your quarterback. What happens? Because you're the stud on the offensive line. What happens mm-hmm. if, uh, and I'm going to try to think, uh, it doesn't matter what the name is. What happens if Matt Hasselbeck gets traded and they bring in a okay. left-handed quarterback? Do you go to the right tackle position? No, and with no that- not at all. No, you can't, you can't, I don't think, you know, a lot of people ask that question, can you guy? Only time I played right tackle, I played right tackle when I was in college. Uh, right. And then uh, only time I play right tackles when I most of the time when you go to the Pro Bowl if you because they only bring like three tackles even you know like one year we was all left tackles so somebody had to play right tackle so uh, so you know the top three tackles are all left tackles so so but if we had a you got to think about it, we had uh, we had Brock Hewitt here that was a lefty so we I had to change for him so I don't think it changes you know it's still you know you're still you know you don't want a guy to just come at full speed you know a lot of times on the right side you know for me personally I still don't look at it as a being the blind it is a blind side for a left tackle but still you know it don't I don't think it'll change it don't it don't change for me personally cuz I'm a left tackle it's all about the way you 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 set and stuff you get used to that so it would never change. I never change. I was a left tackle from day one. I never went in for nobody else. I, if even the center, I remember one time the centers got hurt, and so they were just walking around asking everybody, "Hey, can you snap?" I'm like, uh, "No, I'm a left tackle. Sorry." So, <laughs> so yeah. no, I'm a. I, I came into this game as a left tackle, and that's what I played. So I think if it, if it was a left-handed quarterback, it still wouldn't, it wouldn't change for me. 2010, and this this is a uh, you get a little run of pretty pretty cool events that you get to attend. Mm-hmm. 2010, your number gets retired. Uh, 71. Mm-hmm. There's only two of you. I mean, you got the 12th man, but two players, and it's you and Steve Largent, the only two in the rafters up there. You know, oh, you the, got you got more than three now. You got you got you got, uh, got? Kennedy. You got uh, uh and you got um uh, Kenny Easley too. Oh no! So I screwed the whole thing up. I, Dan, no, cut no, no, that. no, no, you no I, I'm, you know, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm got kidding. In. You know, they, 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 they always say just be Hall of Famer. So Kenny got in like two years ago, and Tez, you know, Tez got in. So it's 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 what it's uh, Steve Largent, it's me, uh, the 12th flag, uh, Kenny Easley, and I think I named everybody. That's it. Yeah. 
But pretty cool when you when you get when you get your number retired, it's never going to be worn again. Pretty pretty cool phone call to get, and and that's going to be followed up in 2014 with the Ring of Honor, and mm-hmm. then ultimately uh, the ultimate honor, which you get inducted in the Hall of Fame. Um, to walk me through getting your number retired in Seattle. Obviously, a, uh, the city of Seattle is very special to you. But getting your number retired, how was that day? And uh, and then we're gonna we're gonna go right into that Hall of Fame and and how you found um, out. And- you know what? It was it was fun. You know, I think it was pretty cool. I thought the city recognized it quick. You know, once I made that decision of retirement and it was official. You know, I think they made a Walter Jones Day. I want to say that's what June thirty. And I think people think that something goes on, but it's really nothing goes on. Like. I can't. I don't think that's a get out of jail free card or nothing like that. I don't think that'll get me out of anything. But a lot of people know about it. Like when once that day come, people start posting stuff on Twitter and stuff like that. So it's a good remembrance for people like that. And then with the with the jerseys retirement, you know that was that was pretty amazing. You know, so just get the number retired. That was pretty amazing because that that shows respect on what I've done on the football field. So for that, you know, that was pretty amazing. Saying you know, and, and a lot of times, you know, that's people get fixated with that stuff. You know, a lot of times people ask me if my son made it to the would you let him wear my jersey? I'll tell you, he already told me he wouldn't want to do that because he want to make his own mark. So that wouldn't have been an issue. But for me personally, that was amazing. You know, for me to be able to play my entire career in Seattle, once I call it a quiz, they retired my jersey. They recognized what I've done on the football field. So it was a pretty amazing. Then the thing about the Hall of Fame, I never did – I never did go into this game saying I wanted to be a Hall of Famer. I was looking for poor, uh, the advantage of taking care of my family, an opportunity to change my life and my family life. So that's what I did it for. And then once you get into the game, you know, you want to be the best of it. You want to play good. But still, again, you don't be thinking about it. I don't think no guys I want to be a Hall of Famer. You know what I'm saying? It's just not something that you write down. So, uh, and then obviously when I retired, I really didn't think about it until I went and, to Tez. When Tez got into the Hall of Fame and he was in his speech, he was like, hey, Walter, you're the next one that's going to be here. And that's when it hit me. I was like, oh my God, I got to get up there and talk. So that's when it really hits me. And, you know, getting in there, you know, being part of something that, you know, no one can take away from you. You represent by a jacket. When you wear that jacket, people know what that jacket means. People watch it, you know, and I tell people all the time, a lot of times, you know, for me personally, I never watched the Hall of Fame. Growing up, I didn't watch it. Playing, I didn't watch it. So I didn't know nothing about the Hall of Fame. So for me, me personally, now I love the fact that, you know, I guess it's the way it goes. It's like, and I tell people all the time, they say, how is it a go-to back to the Hall of Fame? I said, you know, I don't know how it is in baseball and nothing like that. But I said, the thing about the Hall of Fame is this is everybody's chance to be in that light again. You know, even though if a guy got in the Hall of Fame in 1970, when he comes to the Hall of Fame, they treat him no different than if a person got in this year. So this is the time for a guy like to shine one more time again every year. So I think that's a pretty cool thing. You know, for me personally, I'd be in shock when I go. I'm like, oh, my God, I remember watching this guy. I remember watching this guy. So for me personally, it's pretty cool. And now it, it makes me a fan because now I get a chance to watch guys. I tell people all the time, you know, people at my age now, then they get it where you watching people that you watch play the game where they started at, at out at high school. You know, you, you know, for me personally, what, what freaks me out, you know, like Peyton Manning. I think everybody have followed Peyton Manning career you know what i'm saying like people remember peyton manning when he was in high school remember when he chose tennessee over 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 uh, old miss uh he went you know what i'm saying so you remember you we have watched peyton manning entire nfl career football career you know what i'm saying all the way through high school all the way through college all the way through the pros and now he's in the hall of fame so 
that's kind of like, wow, that's crazy to say that I've been able to see that. You know, you think about Tom Brady, people that saw Tom Brady's future. You know, it's just crazy, you know, Charles Wilson, guys that you saw that were spectacular in college and, and they did it in the NFL and now they're Hall of Famers. So for me personally, it makes me a fan of it. And for me to say that I'm a Hall of Famer, to be a part of that is pretty amazing. 2019, 100th anniversary all-time team. It's a, I believe it's a red jacket. What's the yeah. difference in the two? Um, I don't think it's no different. I think it, it you know, I think that's an opinion for people. You know, for me personally, to be on that team out, out of a hundred years, that's pretty amazing. And you know, the crazy thing about that thing was so funny because uh, I was kept getting calls from the NFL for the office. I was like, man, who the chap kept, you know? And and, and it was um. But uh, um, I can't think of name on the top of my head. But he kept calling me, and I was like, "Man, why does he keep calling me?" I'm like, so "I said I'm not playing." So why, uh, Roger Cadell? I said, "Why is he calling me?" I said, I, "I can't get fined. I'm done playing." So you know, you, you get a call from the commissioner, you're thinking like, "I can't, I can't you know, get fined." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you're thinking like, you know, getting a call from the commissioner is like you get a call saying, "Come like back in high school, the person will tell you come to the office." You're thinking like. Man, what I've done, like, you ain't, you ain't thinking nothing good when the commissioner calls when you've been retired for almost 10 years. You know what I'm saying? You're not, you're not thinking something good when that comes, because I didn't know nothing about this boat. And he, he never would leave nothing. He would just say, hey, well, when you get this message, give me a call. I'm like, then I went to the fact, oh, maybe they done found a check that I never did get or something. You know, that's my, my mind thinking. I'm not thinking no top 100. I'm thinking like, hmm, they might got, they might have found some lost money or something. They might want to give me a check or something. You know, I'm thinking like that. I'm thinking, you know, or I can't get fined or something I did while I was playing or something. So when he called me, he was like, hey, and then they told me probably like a couple of months before it, they were going to release it, but they wanted to let guys know about it. So that was pretty amazing, man. You know, you, you, you put it in perspective, man, just to say that you're part of a team that nobody can take that away from you, you know, uh, to, uh, the top 100, you know, you'll be, I won't be around for the next 100 guys. So for me to be a part of that team and to be a part of some great guys, you know, some guys that are household names to be able to say that you're part of that team. It's pretty amazing. Toughest pass rusher you ever had to deal with. Oh man, that's a tough call, man. Um, you know, when I once my name got out there, you know, I, I named a few, uh Bruce Smith, Derek Thomas, OC from uh, from the New York Giants. Uh, I, I named one guy that's probably not a household name unless you're talking to a player. He played for the San Diego Chargers. Uh, Ray Lee Johnson gave me fits all the time. You know, not beat me for a sec, but just made me work every game. You know, so I hated going against him because he was good with his hand. He would slap my hands down. I hated going against him. Uh, I would say uh, Chuck Smith from Atlanta. Man, there's so many guys, man. Because once your name get out there as being somebody special, those guys come out and give you your best. So for me, those guys gave me fit where I had to be out there and be focused every time I got on the field. Best player you ever saw. The best player I ever saw? Oh, my God. Uh, I would say seeing Jerry Rice. I don't know. I'll go back. I'll say Jerry Rice, but I'll say Warren Moon. When I first got here, I was able to play with Warren Moon. And the way he threw a spiral, man, just to say I'm in the huddle with Warren Moon was pretty amazing. And, you know, I was in the huddle with Jerry Rice. So I would have to say Jerry Rice at his age, the way he came out in practice, it looked like the same Jerry Rice when you saw stuff on NFL Network. When he was working out and stuff, he did it the same thing. So to be able to say that I was in the same locker room with Jerry Rice uh, in the same meeting, room with Jerry Rice. That was pretty cool, too. So I'll have to say Jerry Rice. 
Yeah, Jerry was about me. And you're right about Moon. We had Moon on the program a couple months ago. And when I started really digging into the weeds about what he had done in his career, Mm -hmm. amazing. And I said, this guy, you put this guy's numbers against anyone that's ever played this game, but he doesn't get the same accolades. You know, pretty crazy. man. It's pretty crazy. Pretty awesome. I saw a little. He was in my he was in my huddle when I was a young buck. Like so, you like you know, I was like, Jesus, I'm in I'm in the freaking huddle with one Moon. So that was pretty cool. I saw a recent segment. Now nah, I don't think it's recent, but I, but I I watched it recently of uh, you and your photography, and and I think of Randy Johnson when when the big unit retired from, uh, uh, mm-hmm. well not when he was retired when he when he was playing at the end of his career. Mm-hmm. Now into retirement, he got into photography. Tell me about the photography. Sure. And I saw I, I saw a clip of you and you're walking through a museum. You said you you had shot a lot of the Sounders games, and then all of a sudden you said uh, I do now, a, I do a lot of the Sounders game because then I could go there and, and work on my craft. You know. For me personally, I have always taken pictures. You know, I usually go on trips. And, you know, and me personally, I never was about, you know, I have, I have spent money on cameras and bought cameras, but I never, you know, I was all about shooting point cameras. So I had a buddy of mine that was a media guy, and he was like, hey, do you? I said, dude, I take pictures all the time. So we started going around, like, taking pictures of the city skyline and all that stuff. And, you know, just learning the camera, just knowing all the stuff that a camera can do. And then all of a sudden, he's like, hey, you want to go shoot a game? I'm like, man, I can't go shoot no game. So we went to a Sounders game. So I got there, got some shots and stuff. And now, you know, the Seahawks, I put one of my pictures in the stadium. So it's pretty cool. I did a, I, When we went to London, the NFL did a special where they wanted to see me shooting. And I did a, a football game. And I was like, I can't do football games because it's kind of tough because people think that I'm just on the field and they scream, hey, wow, can I get a picture? I'm like, dude, I'm working. Like, literally, I'm working. I'm, I'm trying to get the, the perfect shot. But for me personally, it just, it's just some fun hobby that I like to do, man, where, you know, you can get that shot where you feel comfortable about it and stuff. And then once you get the shot, I tell people all the time, I said, the thing about, you know, taking pictures, I said, people don't understand the editing part of it. You know, the editing, I think, is more important than the actual taking a picture. You know, a lot of times, you know, for me personally, when I look at pictures now, like if I walk through the stadium, I see pictures, I say to myself, how many pictures did he throw away before he got that perfect shot? You know what I'm saying? So people don't understand that. It's kind of like when, you know, you have done commercials and stuff like that. You know, a lot of times you'll go to a commercial shoot and then all of a sudden you're going through this process and it's, a, it's, it's, it's nerve wracking. You don't know your lines and they tell you to do this and they tell you to do that. And then all of a sudden you're like, and then you leave, they're like, man, that was a bunch of crap. And then all of a sudden they go and take it into the edit. They get you to do all these little parts. And then all of a sudden they put it all together. And you're like, man, people don't understand what editing does. So for me personally, I enjoy that part of just to get away, just a, something to do outside, you know, just trying to find that avenue or find that purpose in life. So for me personally, you know, with the COVID, I haven't done it this year. I'm going to start doing it again this year because, you know, everything was crazy. So hopefully I get a chance to get out for the Sounders game, especially when this weather changed. But, you know, get out there and take some shots and stuff like that because I'm not, you know, I don't have a – it's not an official job for me. So I, I, if I look at the weather and be like, oh, nope, not going today. I, I I did see that clip though, and I know you were kidding a little bit. You were walking through the museum at the end. They had put a picture that you've taught you, you took, yep. and you kind of looked at it. But there was a part I could tell by the way you're smiling, like that's really cool. And then you said at the end, "Yeah, but I'm a Hall of Famer and I'm a published." I, I forget what you said, a published. I know, right? That's pretty cool, man. But, you know, and, and you know what? Cool, I, was, I had did a I did a shoot. And I was talking. They were asking me. I said, "You know, that's the end goal." And I didn't want to put that out there because you know sometimes you don't want them to be like, "Oh, we're gonna do it anyway." So you know, they kind of like you know you kind of like, "Okay, I want I want them to see a picture." You know, and I had multiple shots where they have used them like in 
you know, international shots and stuff like that. So it's something that, you know, something that I, I do, but I don't, it's not like where I'm walking around with a camera every day, but it's something that I enjoy doing. Like, you know, I didn't know in like in Seattle, they have these, these tours where you can walk through town and they can show you all these shots and stuff that you can take, you know, you can just walk around camp town and, you know, and take pictures and stuff like that. So just learning the craft, just learning the stuff about the camera. I tell people all the time, those cameras are so amazing. And the cool thing about it, though, going, especially going to these games, the guys that are does it are so great to, you know, they're like a lot of times, you know, I don't know if you deal with, I don't know if you haven't done any stuff in the media. A lot of times when you walk into that room, like if you're doing anything media wise, the people that feel like they didn't put the work in, they feel like we're coming to take their job. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not coming to take your job. You know what I'm saying? Like you can get right. that kind of feel like, okay, you didn't oh, put the work doubt. in. They just, you know, so for me personally, I have to let them know I'm not here to stay. I'm doing this for a hobby. I enjoy it. So I'm not here. I'm here to learn. I'm not here to take nobody, you know, if it happened, it happened, but that's not my goal when I come here. I'm coming here to learn it and figure it out and, and see, you know, because like I say, I'm more of a visual guy. And, you know, I feel like if I put the work in, I'm putting my work in. I'm not here to try to uh, try to out, out someone. I'm just trying to, to, to learn this and, and, and get the perfect shot. Right. And, and, and it is. Guys feel threatened. And it's like, yep. man, if you're feeling threatened by me on my hobby, you, you got some deep digging. You got some therapy to go to, buddy. Uh, <laughs> tell me about the 10th annual Turkey Bowl. You do it every year, raise some money. You know, I've been doing this now for almost 11 years, man. I re- back home my hometown. A lot of time when you come here out to Seattle, a lot of times people say you forget where you come from. And I never have done that, but you know, I something that was dear to my heart when I wanted to do raise money for this uh, local bank because I can remember us growing up. My mom had to go to these places to to get us food and stuff. So for me personally, that was something dear to my heart. Where it's a food bank that served food. Well, most of the time, a lot of food banks, you know, they serve every Saturday of the month or something like that. But this food bank served food every Saturday. They give food every Saturday. So it was something that I want to do. So I started a turkey bowl where you you get teams and you play a game, you raise money, and you give it back and stuff. And so it's something that I do. And that, you know, that's something that's dear to my heart, that that shows people back home that I haven't forgot where I came from. I'm always trying to find ways to give back to my hometown and places where I live that. So when I ever get a chance to do that, and it's something that I've been doing now for the life, you know, and and, it, and it's growing. You know, I said it's a, it's a cool thing to do when you when when you ever you giving back or you changing someone's life. So that's something that I I hold dear to my heart that I always want to do, and I always get back to do it. One piece of advice you'd give a young player starting his NFL career? Oh man, I would say. Uh, I will learn. <laughs> There's so many advices that I could give now. I would tell them, I said, just know that you have to pay your own bills. That's one advice because I tell people all the time, I said, when you leave college, everything is taken care of. You're not paying any bills, really. So, you know, now these guys, you know, the kind of money they probably making now, but they probably have to pay their own bills. But when I was growing, when I came out, I didn't know nothing about bills. I got my house. I got everything turned on. But I didn't know nothing about checking my mailbox either, though. So I was sitting at the house and my lights went off. So I would tell you, you got to, you know, be responsible. It's more than just playing football. You got to be responsible as a player. But still, again, understand what you're here for. That your, your number one job is to be able to be ready to play on Sunday. So I would tell those guys, just make sure you got all your, 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 your I's dotted and your T's crossed because if you don't, that can definitely mess with you on the football field. So just make sure that you put a great group of guys around you that can help you and make sure that you're able to, to go to practice and get ready and be ready to play on Sunday. Because in the end, that's the most bottom line is being ready to play on Sundays. Walter Jones, it's been a pleasure. This, this has been awesome. Uh, what an unbelievable career and, and 
giving back. It seems like you're just a fun guy and you, and, and you got a zest for life and, and you did it right. And, uh, all the accolades you've, you've, uh, accomplished, uh, pretty awesome. And, and once again, it was a pleasure to have you on the show. A lot of fun. And what I do right, each and lot, every, man. I appreciate that. all right. And here, hold on now. I'm not letting you go yet. What we do each and every Boone podcast at the end is we bring mm-hmm. Dan Levy, the voice of the podcast, back in, and he's got one question from the fans. Dan? Hi, hi Walter. How are you? I'm doing good. Okay, this question comes from Dan on this side of the microphone, and okay. I got to know, what kind of diet goes into being an offensive lineman? Because I think I've been doing that diet for the last 20 years without being a lineman. <laughs> what kind of diet? What goes you know in? What, what are you all the eating, time, buddy? I you to find, for me personally, my, I didn't have a diet when I was playing, you know, because, you know, I think once you get, like, I think the cool thing about it, you figure out what your playing weight is, and that's 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 totally by the, the team. So, you know, you get your weight. And for me personally, I think it's all about just, you know, I have, I've never got on a diet because I don't trust diets. I feel like diets are something that you do just to, just to try to prove a point to someone. I tell people it's all about making healthy choices, and I try to do that because I love to eat. As an offensive lineman, you love to eat most offensive linemen. You know, you see a lot of offensive linemen, once they get done playing, they lose weight. I haven't got to that, but I haven't fi- I haven't found that diet yet. I'm trying to, I, every guy I meet, I ask them, I say, what are you on, bro? Like, you see some of these guys look skinny. I'm like, and I'm like, and then you know, all I'll say, I'm just, I'm just, th- I'm just big boned, bro. I don't know what's going on with me, but you know, I, I, I don't, I never was on a diet, man. I just, uh, just tried to eat right, make healthy choices when I was playing the game because I understood that I had to be heavy to play the position I had to play. I didn't mean diet as in what were you coming back. I just wanted to know what were you eating? What was the meal plan? Because like I said, I'm there. <laughs> you know, back then, you know, you, you know, you know, you make weight, you know, for me, I tell guys all the time, you make weight on Friday. Then now it's all sudden, like, say like, I had to be like, uh, you know, you think about, it, you have to be like three twenty five to play on Sunday on Friday, but then you don't know that once you make weight on Friday, then you go into the locker room and they got Krispy Kreme donuts. They got a full course <laughs> meal. So you're putting that 10 to five, that five to 10 pounds back on by Sunday. So if you said I'm playing at, you want me to be 325, I'm probably playing about 330 to 335 by the time game day starts. So, you know, it's just one of those things. But, you know, ain't nothing like a, a good steak and potatoes, though. Every other day is pretty good, too. I've always said being a fireman sounds fun when you don't have to find fires and playing football sounds delicious without getting in. So, exactly. That's so true. I understand. <laughs> I've worked with ex-football players. They always say it feels like you're lighting up and smashing into a garage every every play, but the food is really good. That's what I've heard. Exactly. But then it, I tell people all the time, I, I, you know what? I tell people this. I said all the little nicks and bruises that you got playing, I swear sometimes I can, like especially being out here in Seattle, I swear sometimes I can be walking through the house and I can feel something like, man, I remember when I got that nick. It can be something on my finger. It can be something on my knee. It can be something on my foot or something on my calf. And that's the thing, that's the evil thing about this game that you're going to always have to deal with those types of stuff throughout the year. So, you know, right now I'm looking for me a, you know, I, I never thought I'd get to this point, but I guess it's part of, you know, find it like what they call it a, a snowbird. So now I'm kind of looking for something, you know, once the season is over with to try to find me a warm spot to get away from, you know, this, you know, this rain. I love it. But, you know, I tell people all the time in Seattle, if it ain't raining, that means something is going on. Something is wrong. So I'm used to the rain, but I'm trying to find a place where I can kind of warm up when during the off season. Just look for that flashing Krispy Kreme sign. Walter Jones, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, sir. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Mailbag. All right, Boone. You know that sound, although this one isn't an email. This is actually a question. 
Major League Baseball just said that it's not going to play the first two weeks or at least the first two series of the game itself. It's not going to start on time. What are your thoughts? Where do you see it going? What's happening? My thoughts are it'll be done when the owners de- it, a deal will be struck when the owners decide a deal will be struck. I, I went through it in 94 and, you know, a lot I get a lot of flashbacks right now. It's um, the CBT, which is the luxury tax. It has to move with the rate that the uh, that the revenues increase. If not, it will act like a hard cap. So that is very important. It's a hill worth dying on for the players. I think the owners are in a position now, and I and and I've thought about this a lot. The owners play the long game. They play the marathon. They think to themselves, "I've got a I've got a franchise that's worth, let's say, for argument's sake, a billion dollars. In ten years, what's it going to be worth? Probably two point four billion dollars. That's what how they think. So they don't worry about. Right now, missing a few games, that doesn't disrupt their long-term business uh, strategy. So that's a little different on the owner side. The players, we as players, our bodies are are like like alarm clocks. We know it's spring training. We're supposed to be getting ready for the season right now. Players are a little more emotional. But what I've seen from the top guys that are representing on the board, uh, the Max Scherzers of the world, they're very united. They're very they're holding the line. It seems like these players are together as as they've been throughout this whole process. So I don't see the owners breaking the players, but they're always looking for a crack in the armor. It was very unfortunate today because who suffers? The fans. Fans don't care about all the issues. They don't care about the X's and O's. They don't want to hear about talking about billions of dollars that's in this game. All they know is they want to see their teams out on the field. They they don't care about the rest of it. And, and I do, and I empathize with them. Uh, or sympathize with them because they're not in the middle of this. They just want to come home after work and w- turn on the TV and watch their Cubs play. So the CBT is the key. You get that done. Uh, there's there's some there there's a deal right in the middle where the two sides are. They're about forty million apart. There's a deal in the middle there somewhere. It's just the owners are going to stretch it out as long as they want. And right now they've decided that they're not ready to to, to give in. They're going to keep going. It's really unfortunate because, uh, yeah, missing another game. I've been through a through a work stoppage and and canceling the World Series, and and it took three or four years. And and Cal Ripken breaking the streak, and and Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire in the summer of eighty uh, ninety eight putting on that display to really bring the game back to where it was. It's unfortunate. Uh, it's a sad day for baseball fans everywhere right now, and and uh, hopefully they get something done soon. Because you were there for it and because you were a part of the last one where they canceled the World Series, do you see this going the same route? No, I, I don't see this being a cancellation of this season. They're going to play in 2022. They're, it, it makes too much sense. Uh, there just has to be a little more working on that on that that luxury tax threshold. It's got to move with 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 the revenue. It can't just stay there. If it stays there, it acts like a hard cap, which is what baseball has never had and will never have. It's what we fought for for you know back in the Marvin Miller days and my dad when he was the National League rep to to present day 2022. It's the hill worth dying worth dying on the players are gonna uh it's just the owners know there's a deal in there they know and they always and they always know and my my experience that i went through uh that's why i'm saying right now there'll be a deal when the owners 
say there'll be a deal because they know where the number is and they know it's a fair number. All right, Brett, that's going to do it for the Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director and producer and the voice of the Boone Podcast. EP executive producer, Rich Herrera. Digital content gets done by Liz Landry. Please share the Boone Podcast with neighbors and friends. Make sure you subscribe to the Boone Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, give it a five-star rating and share your feelings about the Boone Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. To follow Brett Boone on social media, he is at the Boone 29. You can follow me on Base on Air, B A S S on Air. And for all of us here on the Boone Podcast, I'm Dan Levy. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Take care.